John chapter 8, and we're going to start from verse 30. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We're Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If if you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do the things that Abram did. As it is, you are determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Thanks, Ian. Yeah, Will and I were just comparing notes before. She's got to put the glasses, she's got to take the glasses, no, it's the other way. She's got to put them on to read and I've got to take them off to read. So, so it's an interesting battle. But um, this morning's service, we, uh, you can see that we're focusing on a few words about trust in each other, trust in the Lord in particular, uh, trust and obey. There's no other way but to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Um, I, like you, I started off this morning's service and said, I'm, I'm surprised, maybe like you, I should introduce myself. I'm Ian Graham. Uh, I've been in Wagga Baptist Church since 1974, so I've been around a while, and, uh, but I got to this point where I don't know you all. It's got to that point. I go to 8.15, so it's like two different, two different congregations, two different families, and that's one of the points that I think the Lord has pointed out to me uh, in preparing for this about how we are separate and also, and also 6 o'clock tonight, also the Myanmar church and also the Chinese church. And we don't sort of, you're all under the same banner and we're all part of the Lord's family, but we don't, we don't mix together. But we, just, uh, but we do all abide in the Lord and the Lord abides in us. The, um, let's open in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for the Jeanette's prayer. Lord, that just opens our minds to just how wonderful you are, how powerful you are, how concerned you are, and your compassion for us and your care for the world. Lord, we thank you for Dale and the music team. Lord, for, for focusing us on, on you, Lord, and bringing us to a point at the end there, Lord, that we sing in our hearts, that we surrender all. Lord, we do pray that that may be our experience. Lord, we may check our lives. We may look at what we are doing, uh, where we hold you. Is it just a nicety, Lord, or are we surrendering all to you in this world where we are so busy and crowded with things and pleasures and 
tasks and opportunities and obligations. So, Lord, we do pray as we uh, focus on your word now that your Holy Spirit would enable us to take away the things that you want us to understand and put into place and put into practice in our lives. And those things, Lord, that are just rubbish and just something that uh, I've thought up, Lord, you may discount those. Uh, Lord, that we may be blessed through this service this morning and that we may be a blessing to one another and others. So, the background of the series, as we know, promises. We've gone through a number of promises um, brought to us by Dale, by Jeff, uh, by David initially. Um, and I think that that's really interesting in as much these are the promises that we get. And uh, part of this and the outline for me was to look at uh, this promise, uh, the promise that uh, we... I've come that you... Sorry. Oh, wrong spot. This promise that... Uh, if we abide in God, he will abide in us and we are free. We are free indeed. And we just want to look at those words, I thought. In fact, uh, what do what some of those words mean to us? What does freedom mean to us? And uh, before I did that, someone gave me a, a, um, a clicker. Can you put a slide up or is that history? All <laughs> oh, right, who's got the clicker? I probably wouldn't know one if I fell over it. Just take your glasses off. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, John. You can you can see what I'm up against. Um, And I thought, well, look, I loved I loved uh, Dale when he produced for us the uh, the 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 timeline uh, where it fits in 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 the Bible in God's story. And uh, I tried to follow suit. Oh no. So that's the outline for today, the promise, the background, uh, the context of where Jesus is at the moment when he's talking to us or he's talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Sorry. And then I block out the picture. Um, And then the authority of Jesus, why he has the ability to say what he has and do we believe it? Do we really believe it? Do we take it on board uh, and accept it and act on it? Or... And then the application of what we understand and put into practice in our lives, both individually and corporately as a church. So I put that up and someone said, Jesus, the people are going to, aren't going to be able to read that. And I thought, that is true. That is true. But the fact of the matter is, it was just to put it into context. That's just a, an indication of uh, the spread of Jesus' life on earth, right? From John the Baptist, eternal life, teaching of Jerusalem, the Passover and the resurrection. But we're focusing at the moment in chapter 8, which uh, Jesus is claiming that he's the light of the world and I am the son uh, of God and I will be lifted up. And we're we're talking there about uh, chapter 8, 31 to 32. Um, The truth will set you free. And he said that to the the Jews, namely the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Where are we going next? Ah, back. So the authority of Jesus is such that you know, I look at that and we, what do we call him? I thought there's various names uh, that he comes by. In preparation, I said, oh, I better look up a few names of Jesus, see what he's been called. Well, I got into a, a site that was 50, 50 names. And I thought, you know, we take it too glibly, don't we? We think of him the Lamb of God, that sounds really nice, and it's, and it's part of the, the sacrifice and part of the resurrection and whatever else. But the fact of the matter is that we take that, I think, too soft. I grew up not in a Christian family, but I went to Sunday school and was 
uh, peppered by all these wonderful images of Jesus having the little children come to him and they were all soft and nice and it was really joyful and I thought, this bloke's a good guy. You know, he's, 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 got, he's got the grip on life and he knows what he's doing but he's a really kind and gentle soul. Uh, and I think I've looked at him and maybe you have in that way but he's more than that. He's more than that, isn't he? He's, um, he's the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. He's our creator. In Daniel, Daniel refers to him way back then as the ancient of days. And then the word says, he was in the beginning. He was the word. And the word was with God. We're not talking about, not talking about some individual that's just, uh, just an individual that come had a quite a ministry on earth and went somewhere and that's the end of the story. Christ, God came to earth. He died for us to enable us to get into his family. And these are the words that Wilma read that he spoke of. I, uh, I'm not a real good scholar myself and in fact I wondered why David picked me to do this. I thought, geez, there's a lot of other people out there quite capable of doing this. Um, and I haven't done it for a long, long time. But I thought he made a mistake. I thought it was, must have been a slip on the computer, not knowing his ability to uh, use a computer that well. But here it was. My name was down. So here it is. Um, what the Lord has really laid on my heart to say, I mightn't say it in the right way, but what I say is heartfelt and genuine. We look at, say, that... that uh, that quote, that, that um, you know, we are free indeed. The Lord made us free indeed. What did he mean by that? Look at the noun, freedom. The power to, the power or the right to act, speak and think as one wants. A state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. A state of not being subject to or affected by things that are really undesirable, a special privilege and a right of access, especially that of full citizenship. And I thought, well, that's full citizenship in God's kingdom, in his family. We have that right. That's the freedom that we can share and experience when we have Jesus in our lives and have accepted him as Lord and as Saviour. Indeed, when Jesus said indeed uh, in that passage... It was used to emphasise the statement, but it really means, in fact, he's saying, in fact, this is the situation. Don't forget, he's the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. He's not talking with any mealy-mouthed sort of expression. He is saying, in fact, you know, this, is, this is, in fact, real. Uh, so listen to what I have to say. I... Uh, I took the opportunity then, I thought, well, where do we go from here? Maybe we need to look at some commentaries um, to get a grip on what was thought. And I looked at a couple of commentaries, and one of them, one of them or the two of them that I looked at in particular, were one by a gentleman by the name of uh, John Gill and another one by the name of um, Spurgeon. Um, and you would have heard of Spurgeon, the Prince of Pre Preachers. And uh, I thought, yeah, let's have a read. What, what have they got to say about this? And, uh, and the distance in time between us and them, in the first place with Gill, it's 200 years. In the second place, it's 100 years. Back to Spurgeon. And this is what they said on this matter of Jesus saying, uh, if I abide in you, you, you freely accept. You will, be, sorry, you will be free indeed. 
You will be free indeed. And what are you going to be free from? You're going to be free from the consequences of the sin and death. And I thought, well, how do we explain sin? And one of the thoughts that came to me was, I've got a three-year-old boy in the house and um, he's a real character and a real challenge. And uh, I watch him play with his brother or anybody and all of a sudden he sees something and he'll grab it. And then if you take it off him, he cries and he screams and he carries on, he chucks it wobbly, you know, just goes nuts. You've seen him. And uh, I thought, he wasn't taught that. He wasn't taught that. That was inherent in his makeup. And I think it's the same in our makeup, it's in our DNA. I know that's a simplistic way of expressing what sin is, but I think that that's what Jesus recognised that we had this faultiness, this in, innate ability. Uh, not to want God on our side, not to be, uh, to be defiant of him and uh, have an own, our own self-interest. And golly, we see it around us today, don't we? Uh, we have iPhones. You could go on as I do. We can see the impact that it has on us with consumerism and our desire for things. The lust of the eyes, you know, we often think of lust in terms of sex, but lust is getting things that you see and you want and you pursue them. And uh, that's a real, a real concern. And I was interested to see what um, uh, Spurgeon had to say about that. I'll get back to the commentary. But Spurgeon, Spurgeon said that, you know, the things that you lust after with your eyes, um, whatever they are, and whatever a man does in that way, that really is his God. You've lost sight of it. You've lost sight of God. But back to, say, looking at that passage. If the Son, therefore, will make you free, you shall be free indeed. Gill said uh, what Jesus was doing there was binding the strong man, Satan, right? Putting them into his... and and, uh, delivering people. Once he bound Satan, he was delivering them into his own kingdom. He does not, indeed, free them altogether from temptations... So Jesus hasn't delivered us from temptations. We go through this world and we're still belted by consumerism and every other thing, uh, and plus our own ability to fail and fall. Uh, You know, promises that we don't keep, uh, lies that we do make, uh, pretense that we do put on. We're not always genuine. So putting them into his own kingdom, that's that's what Jesus does. He does not indeed free them altogether from his temptations, but he preserves them by his own power from being hurt and destroyed by the devil, by Satan. He likewise makes his people free from the law. So we haven't got to obey the law in as much as we are free from the law. We haven't got to sort of try and live up to the standard. We do have to obey God's laws, but that's out of love. He gives freedom and access to God. That's what Jesus does. He's given us freedom and access to God himself as our Father through his blood and through his spirit. And we're just about to approach Easter where we can all come to grips with that and see what Jesus did and what it cost God in order for us to be part of his family. Those who are made free by Christ, the Son of God, are not they are not in part only, but are wholly free. Not in part only, but wholly free and have the right and the privileges of his house to sup with the Lord.
and immune from, sin, from death, the penalty of sin, which is death. We're immune from that. Not to say that we won't face temptations and we can fall, but he's got our back. Spurgeon mentioned uh, in his consideration of this passage uh, about promises that um, a lot of us are not, in, are not perfect in our faith. Um, and this may be our, our, our situation here. There are those who believe one promise of God and did not believe another. So we've had a number of promises. Just think, you know, go back over them. Uh, they're on the website if you want to listen to them again. There's a kind of faith which is a, a strong, so a kind of faith which is strong in one direction, but utter weakness if tried in other ways. It is curious that a person generally picks out the easiest promises to believe, while those which are greater, therefore, are like uh, and that are more godlike, they cannot be believed. Beware of being pickers and choosers of God's promises, he's saying there, in the sense that uh, don't just uh, believe some promises because that one's easy and you can mentally adjust with that and you can accept it. But anything that's more godlike and out of the realms of your possibility and your experience, you tend to discount or steer away from, not discredited, but you, you're not wholeheartedly there. Whatsoever God promised, remember, he is God, he is able to perform. And if the promise suits you and you can grab hold of it, that's what you should do. You should grasp it with both hands. Some believe God at one time and then not of another. Do you find, do you, do you find that? Do you believe uh, the Lord uh, was, as good, it was a good deal on Thursday nights after the sermon? They must have preached on sermon. I think he preached seven, seven nights a week. Uh, he, he preached 3,600 sermons in his, in his lifetime, 13 a week on average. And he says, um, I've lost the play, on Thursday nights. Do you, do you not find that the, you believe the Lord a good deal on Thursday nights and after a sermon, how about Friday night? How about Monday? Do you feel different? Has it lost its power? Has it lost its attraction? Have you lost that loving feeling? There's a song for that, isn't it? And, um, and he mentions that in the sense that uh, Aesop's, that's correct, no? Aesop, Aesop's fable. He says, we're like the fable of Aesop, where there's a, there's a deer, a stag, and he's uh, just, just hit manhood, and his antlers are great and big, and he's thinking to himself, geez, I'm good. And he looks into the pool of water, which is nice and clear like a mirror, and he says to himself, look at that, I can take on the world. Anything comes to me, me, and threatens me. I can rip them apart with my strength and with my antlers. And then a dog barks, and he shoots off into the forest. <laughs> And, and saying that's in some ways how we are. Are we like that with some of God's promises? Do we not accept them as they are on face value or do we get scared and walk away? And then there was another example that he used saying, you know, we should be, we should be like a people that um, have got a lot more courage than that. Uh, some things we cannot do because... We never make an attempt to do them. And uh, he uses an example there of a young boy um, in, a, in a court situation and a smart lawyer. And the smart lawyer's trying to grill this kid. And uh, he says to him, and he's pretty puffed up the lawyer and full of his own importance and, and his own knowledge and whatever, you know, he's just a showcase, show pony. And he says to the kid, can you read Greek? And the kid says, I don't know. 
And so he said to the court clerk, he said, could you get me a Greek book, please? He goes in and gets a Greek book. He gives it to the kid. He opens it up and he says, can you read Greek? And he said, no. He said, but I never know unless I try. And I think that was the point. You know, we don't know where the Lord might lead us and what he might want each of us to do unless we try, unless we are prepared, as it was prayed by Jeanette, step out of our comfort zone to try. If that spirit were in Christian people, we would achieve great things, but we, set, we, we, we are set down such and such a thing is manifestly beyond our powers. We tend to think that no, we can't do it. And as soon as we go into that mould, um, we're silently whispering to ourselves on some of those promises. I think it's beyond the power of God. We're saying that to ourselves. We, we just cave in a bit. We're like the stag. We bolt. We don't hold fast on the promise. And I think it's a, a human weakness that we're all going to wrestle with. I know I have, and you keep working. I was at a youth thing the other night, and the kids asked me, uh, the young boys asked me, I think, who, who was there? Joe was here on the drums. And um, they said, um, they asking questions about an older Christian. I said, what, what do you think would get you through um, the teenage years? What got you through your teenage years when all the world's in front of you? He said, and, and have you, that was one question. So we managed to talk about that, and at the end of the day, Peter, Peter, whoops, Peter was there, Peter was there, and we, I said, well, the thing that got me through, to cut a long story short, was the Proverbs. I come to the Lord in 1959, I was given a little uh, Gideon's New Testament that had Proverbs and Psalms in it, and little helps in the back of it, and it was that that sustained me in the years when I didn't follow the Lord after the Billy Graham crusade but the Lord never left his hand off me. So, but it was the Proverbs that sustained me, that always brought me back to say, gee, this is talking about me. And then they asked Peter about what he would do, what sustained him. And God's so gracious, Peter sat there and said, Proverbs. So all these boys, un un uncoordinated, got the message that, you know, Proverbs is a way in which the Lord can touch you and keep you on track in your life. Uh, so that was, that was a real blessing for us. The, um, the other thing was, you know, for all of us, because uh, of my age, and uh, the boy said, well, you know, do, do you think you peaked yet? <laughs> and I said, well, it depends on what area. <laughs> um, I said, I've, I've certainly... I said, in terms physically, I've peaked. I'm, I'm on the way down. Um, I said, but spiritually, I said, in my knowledge and walk with the Lord, I said, I'm just a work in progress. And I think I will be till I meet him face to face. So, you know, I think we all can identify with that. The, um, the other one was on the, another commentary, a more recent one was from uh, the, the pulpit commentary. It says, therefore... Uh, if, if the sun make you free, you are free indeed. You're free indeed. Um, and I couldn't help thinking, um, being free indeed, about a song that haunts me. Um, and I don't know whether it's actually appropriate, but it was by Janis Joplin. Um, Freedom's just another word for nothing left, but for... for no, no, for, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. 
And I pondered on that. I thought, geez, I don't know whether it's appropriate to say to a church. And I thought about it. And so the take I took on it was, if you've got nothing to lose, you're at peace because you're not trying to protect anything. And I think that's the sort of freedom that Christ is saying there. You are free indeed. It's a peace uh, and he secured for you a right to be in his family for an eternal life. He died to set us free and we inherit an eternal life and part of his family. Um, So Christ, it says here, uh, the son is he who gives power to become the sons of God. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus frees us from the law of sin and death. And sometimes we hear it that often, it doesn't mean much to us. But I remember as a young boy coming to the Lord, I wasn't too sure about death. I liked the idea of life, but death frightened the, frightened the life out of me. <laughs> and uh, I thought, wow, you know, I've got to have some of this. But I think in some of the times we think of it as an insurance policy. But it's more than that, isn't it? This is God reaching out in love to us. He wants us to be in his family. And the only way to God is through Jesus Christ, is accepting him as Lord and Saviour in your life. I then looked at... Um, And so the essential freedom accrues to him who knows that sin is pardoned and that death is vanquished and that the prince of this world, Satan, has been cast out in our lives. He's still here, but but God protects us. It doesn't say it's going to be easy. We'll be still subject to temptations. We'll still have uh, pain and suffering. But the end, end result is we are okay. We are okay. God has got our back. I, uh, I looked at uh, I looked at that then in terms of, I don't know where we got to on here, but the idea was to use these. And um, yeah, you know we get this magazine, this magazine called Resonate that comes out from time to time. And uh, it's often in the foyer and I pick it up and have a read of it. And uh, I was challenged by it because it had in there, you're not supposed to be able to read, you might be able to read the top bit, but God, why can't I keep doing things the same way? So the challenge is, you know, check what you're doing and, and, and is what you're doing the same way aligned with God's direction in your life and in the lives of others? So, and then he started off, and this is from the director in, uh, in uh, Western Australia uh, for this magazine, and he said... Gee, I'm uh, I'm reading the I'm reading sorry I'm reading the <laughs> I'm reading the Lord of Rings again. You might remember that Frodo comes into possession of a powerful ring. Frodo comes to realise that he must leave home and embark on a dangerous journey to destroy the ring and save Middle Earth. This is completely beyond his life's experience to the point and unlike anything he had ever done before. Frodo's courage inspired this man. He said he risked everything to set out on a dangerous path with an unknown ending, but we know the end. And he risked everything to play his part in the bigger story taking place around him. And he says he wants to live his life like that. He wants to be a Frodo and step out. And I wonder whether 
how we feel about that. Are we prepared at our point in life, our age, uh, whether we're young or old or middle uh, or teenagers, are we prepared to take on things that we think may be impossible, but God may be touching you on the shoulder and say, I think you should do that. Are you brave enough to step out and be on his side? So I, I equated that with... Um, A little bit of a, a warning, I don't know. Can any, any people here remember John Smith? Yes. Yeah, so he's John died recently uh, of cancer. And this was the last message that he, he gave to, to the people. And a lot of his concerns was the way in which we live our lives. I'll just give you some extracts from uh, his concern for us and being a, a really top flight, I think, in lots of ways, evangelist with his feet on the road, or at least his wheels on the road, and because he drives a motor, because he rode a motorbike, I, I identified with him. Right. It says, he says here, in Australia, the economic growth is currently a major focus in Australia, but what kind of growth are we talking about? Can we call it healthy growth if we achieve a surplus? And this is a crunch. But we fail to meet the needs of the community particularly the poor and the disadvantaged and the marginalised, which was prayed for by Jeanette. That's, that's a warning, isn't it? And um, I'd also came to mind that uh, in one of the Proverbs, you know, that if we, if, we cry, if we don't hear the cry of the poor and respond, God says he won't hear us when we cry out. And um, there's also an emphasis today on growth in many churches today. Both large and small, globally the Christian faith is now growing at a rate never or rarely seen before and faster than any other religion. Jesus, Jesus said, beware of covetousness. That's the lust of the eyes, isn't it? You know, wanting to, and we're belted every day by consumerism ads. An excessive desire to possess something that someone else has, calling it a sin of idolatry. He was referring to the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament which uh, placed devotion on one true God and its highest priority and banned idol worship and covetousness. So how are we faced up with covetousness? Are we crumbling all the time or are we making a decision, a, a thoughtful decision before we uh, cave in? I've got to confess, I've got a weakness, uh, many in fact, but I cave in at times on wanting to change a motor vehicle when the thing would probably last another 10 years. Um, that's, and that's covetous, and I've got to confess that before the Lord. And he sometimes wondered whether, despite the great growth in so-called Christian movements, we may be observing departure from the New Testament faith, more dangerous than any other time since the Reformation, and when house cleaning was required because widespread worldliness, widespread worldliness, had started to undermine the teaching and practices that so clearly demanded and illustrated by Jesus in his word and in his life. So it was just a, something for us to, to look at. I, uh, I then wanted to sort of apply some of that thought to ourselves. Um, when we look at ourselves as individuals and as uh, a corporate body, a church, I should have stuck with the um, iPad, which I might have to do. That'll be it. And now, that's the mind of a messy man. Um, but 
it was done in order for me to sort of focus on ourselves. You don't have to read it, and you can't. But, but it was to focus on ourselves, to say, this is our world, and this is the world that we live in, in lots of ways. We've got access to information that we've never had before. We can go places we've never seen before. We can consume goods and services that we've never had before. We're subject to climate change at the moment. We're victims of technology and we can travel like we never had before in such short time to just any place in the world. And we're uh, now in a society that's changing in its makeup in terms of the multicultural makeup that we've got and all the implications and difficulties that are associated with that and some of the stuff we've experienced over the last fortnight with New Zealand and it raised the whole issue of multiculturalism and the clash of religions. And what are, the, what are the repercussions of that for you and me? You know, I think individually and collectively, you know, it's fear. It's fear from being different. It's a fear of being rejected by our society, by being different, which is a fear of being isolation uh, for ourselves. We've got some fears of terrorism. Will someone come in and do something stupid? Um, there's power struggles we witness every day from the politicians more interested in their own outcomes than they are in the nation and, um, and the inequality that exists across the world and across our society and, uh, and the health issues that seem to have raised themselves now like they just come to the fore don't they in my time as a, a younger person drugs weren't an issue but they are today they're just such a scourge on the nation and uh, you know, we're trying to wrestle and come to grips with that and which results in people with uh, depression, anxiety and all the stuff that families experience and the suffering and misery that comes out of that. You know, the fact that they're now increasing the size of Juno Jail over there, twice what it was the year before. Uh, it's a growth industry, you know, getting out of line with society. And uh, I thought to myself, well, you know, we, we, we're lashed by um, our own bad habits. How about you and I? Think of your habits that you have. Think of your consumerism approach, you know, your, your own lusts um, and the eye condition. Is it all about me? When do I want it? I want it now. Um, sort of attitude in things. We get, we get carried away with the world. And uh, so we've got, we got this tension in our lives about what do we do. And another song came to, came to mind, which was from Bob Dylan. We've got to make a choice in life, whether you're young or whether you're old, whether you're middle-aged. Uh, you've, got to, you've got to, at the end of the day, you've got to serve somebody. And Bob Dylan sung about that. You've got to serve somebody. It may, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. And I think that's true of all of us. We've all got to decide which way we want to go. Who do we want to serve? In terms of us as a, uh, as a, as a fellowship, as a church... Um, I get concerned about a number of matters uh, that, you know, we talk about community and family and yet I touched on it, we've got, if you look at your bulletin there, right at the front we've got three services, then we've got the Myanmar people and we've got the Chinese people, they're all part of us and we refer to Ashmont, how much time do we spend as a church? Are we just, I don't know you as much, I know because I've been here so long, I know a lot of you, but I don't know everybody and a lot of people are strange not in that sense, but a lot of people are different to me. And uh, I, I don't feel part of the family in that regard, but I feel an obligation or a desire that I want to know you better. 
and uh, share, share our experiences. And I want you to share your experience with me. So, you know, it's just trying to create that sense of community which the leadership has been trying to work on. So the, the, the challenge is for us to work on that. Um, you know, do you want to, if you're older, do you just want to be like that poem says, do you just want to lie down and go peacefully into the night? Or do you want to rage? Do you want to get up and have a go and trust in some of the promises that the Lord has? So the Lord's given us a lot of resources uh, in our midst, whether they be material, whether they be spiritual, uh, in personnel at this stage. And, you know, it just seems to me that we have a great opportunity to use them uh, for his glory. And uh, I'd encourage us to do that. So can we, like Sally and John... Step out in boldness. Can we have the peace that uh, Liz Tabor had shown during the week when she had a heart attack, a heart stop? They said, we don't know whether we're going to bring you back, Liz. Paraphrased. Uh, we don't know whether we're going to bring you back, Liz. Um, and she said, no, I'm trusting in the Lord. That's the peace that was with her. I think a Dean, uh, the, the, the frequency now, uh, Dean, the transformation in his life, you know, from from a villain and a jailbird to being someone who's got his heart on fire for the Lord and has got a heart for other people. His eyes are off himself. In closing, I think the challenge is for us to, um, as Sally said, we've got to trust and obey. We are free. We are free indeed. Grab hold of that. Jesus said that. It's not just a glib word that he threw away. He said that that's the position we hold with him. We are free indeed. So can we step out with boldness? Can we step out with courage to change and move out uh, of our own comfort zones? We have many resources, and if God be for us, who can be against us? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you are for us. Thank you, Lord, that you have blessed us in many ways. And, Lord, as we go into this week, we do pray that you would stir up our spirits, that we might see what part we can play in creating fellowship, community, in this community, and then create a community that the people in this wider community in Wagga Wagga, will know, they will know us because of the way in which we love one another and we love them. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.